Okay, we're live. Welcome to today's program. Uh, it is a very wet, stormy, thundering, lightning January day in Tennessee, which is kind of weird. But today I wanted to read Ephesians chapter 5. But before I start uh, reading through Ephesians chapter 5, uh, which I've been looking forward to, I've really enjoyed just reading through uh, scripture uh, together and uh, just commenting on it. It's always a, a great exercise to do. Uh, reading God's word and uh, just trying to soak in what it says and rejoicing in what it says, being convicted by what it says. I wanted to make a little proposal to uh, people that are regular listeners uh, to the program here or who tune in or watch it on the archives or whatever. I want to play a game. Um, you know, over the years, uh, I have interacted a lot. Um, I used to get on web forums. Um, <laughs> with people from different groups and uh, have, have uh, done a lot of email exchanges with defenders of N.T. Wright, defenders of John Piper, defenders of Doug Wilson, defenders of Peter Lightheart, defenders of other Federal Vision people, Schlissel, um, Lightheart, Lusk, Wilkins, Barrich, Myers, Gallant, um, and have, exchange, have done a lot of emailing, a lot of uh, discussions with people. And I wanted to, to demonstrate to everybody uh, what I'm going to call the Making Heresy Orthodox Game. Making Heresy Orthodox Game. And so it's all going to depend on if people will do this for me. Uh, I want people to look up from church history. You can go online and look up stuff. I want you to find me paragraphs of the most blatant theological heresy that you possibly can find. The most flagrant denials of the gospel, the most flagrant denials of the deity of Christ, the Trinity, the most flagrant denials of the essentials of the Christian faith. And I want you to send me those quotations. Send me quotations of the most flagrantly, blatantly heretical stuff that you can find and give me 60 seconds. Send me a paragraph of heresy, give me 60 seconds to comment on it, and I'll make, I will find a way to make it orthodox. I say that because I have done this, this, uh, song and dance with defenders of N.T. Wright, the new perspectives on Paul, with defenders of John Piper, defenders of Doug Wilson, et al., all the rest of them. No matter what you show these people from Wilson, Piper, or N.T. Wright, they will find a way to make it orthodox. You just give them enough prose, enough space to write, and they will, they will find a way to make it orthodox. So I just want to kind of, as an illustration, I want you all to find me the most blatantly heretical stuff. I, I, want, um, I want you to find the most flagrantly heretical paragraphs of heresy you can find, and I'll, I will make it orthodox in 60 seconds. I will find a way. And I just want to show how easy it is to do that. Um, With uh, not only stuff that's subtle, but stuff that's flagrantly heretical. So find me statements by Apollinarians, Arians, uh, Pelagians, um, Rome, uh, the Arminians, uh, and who are the Socinians, liberals, whatever. You find me statements. You find me statements that are the most flagrantly heretical stuff you could possibly find. And I will set a timer. I'll read it on the program and put a timer, 60 seconds. Give me 60 seconds and I will find a way to make it orthodox. 
just to show how easy it is to do that. If you're, if you're smooth enough, if you're slick enough, you can make heresy orthodox very easily. Because I've watched others do this for years and years and years. You, you show them the quotations from Piper, they'll find a way to make it orthodox. Show them the heretical statements from N.T. Wright, they'll find a way to make it orthodox. Show people heretical statements by Peter Lightheart, they'll massage those words enough to make them orthodox. Same thing with Doug Wilson and all the rest of them. So just as an illustration, we'll play the Making Heresy Orthodox game. Making Heresy Orthodox game. You find me statements of heresy and give me 60 seconds and I'll, I'll make them orthodox. Okie dokie. Okay, so there you go. Oh, and uh, since I always forget to do this and I, I keep being reminded to do this, subscribe to my channel. You, you realize that I think we are like four subscriptions away from a thousand. I actually had a, a channel that had um, over like well over a thousand, but I deleted it because someone, a, a reformed celebrity had, uh, tweeted one of my videos and I all of a sudden had like just so many subscribers and I, I don't want, I don't want to have subscribers because of things like that. So I deleted the channel and started over. Yeah. I have 995. So I got 995 subscribers. Apparently when you hit 1000, something magical happens. I'm not sure exactly what, but, um, anyway, let me see who's over here in the little channel before we start reading Ephesians 5. If you want to get your Bible and turn to Ephesians 5, I'm reading from the New King James Version, and occasionally we'll refer to other versions if I think it's uh, useful or helpful. Um, but let me see who's over here, over in the uh, uh, channel, over here. There's Jesse, there's Julia. Howdy, howdy. Hey, hey. Hey, Dad, I'm really behind in school, so I'm going to do school as I watch this. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. There's New Reformation Apologetics. Forgive me, I have not got around to listening to that pastor you sent me that was slamming you. <laughs> yeah, that guy. I, I don't know. You know, the, the Theology Central dude? Um, I found his website, Theology Central, bringing theology to everything in life. And yet, on their website, there's no doctrinal statement. <laughs> like, so you're Theology Central. We're bringing theology to the whole world, but we won't tell you what our theology is anywhere on our website. Okay, that's cool. Uh, there's Lily. Hi, Lily. There's Rob Gibbs. Howdy, sir. And okay, I sent you one a few months ago. Oh, you did? Well, send send it again, man. Sorry about that. If I if I uh, missed it, it's pro it's probably in my face to face folder in my email thing. But um, yeah, forgive me. I I don't get to everything that I'm sent. Uh, I don't get sent that much stuff, but sometimes it, it it's too much and I, I forget about stuff. So sorry about that. Metanoia only means to change your mind from unbelief, from your own righteousness to God. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that one. I've heard that. It's just changing your mind about who Jesus is. Uh, people are heaping burdens on others by saying we need to turn from all sin to be saved. Yeah. Well, if that's, uh, if that, oh, what it was a social media post? Okay. I'm sorry. Um, I, I did reply. I was on, that was back on, I'm, I'm usually not on social media. Okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah. If, if we have to turn from all of our sin, um, meaning, uh, actually forsake all of it uh, to be saved, then nobody's going to be saved because nobody can do that perfectly. Uh, certainly not, but okay, let's, uh, let's, uh, switch gears here and go into Bible reading mode. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, we completed Ephesians four last time and, uh, let's go ahead and plow in here. Um, uh, we'll back up and get the last two verses of Ephesians four. Yeah. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. 
Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So we are to be imitators of God. What an exhortation that is. What, what, a, um, what an imperative that is. In light of what God has accomplished for us in Christ, we are to imitate God. Meaning, we are to have the same measure, have some something of the same measure of grace and patience and kindness and forgiveness towards others that God has shown to us. Now, that doesn't mean that we let people abuse us or mistreat us or walk all over us and we just roll over and take it. But rather, anyone that seeks our forgiveness, um, that sincerely wants our forgiveness, should should receive our forgiveness. Okay, and walk in love as Christ also loved us. There, there's the, the command. That's what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you to, that you love one another even as I have loved you, he says. So that's really the, the thing. It's not that the command to love was a brand new commandment, but rather the way that Jesus puts it, love one another as I have loved you where you lay down your life for one another as Christian brethren and loved us and given himself in behalf of us for us. There's a substitutionary atonement there, Ephesians 5, 2, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And then it moves on into more, um, more, uh, exhortations to personal holiness here. Uh, there's Colin. Hey, Colin, how are you, man? Uh, from Wheaton greetings. Uh, say hello to, to everybody there to, um, to the boss, am I, am I saying that right, their last name, uh, and to your, your friends, to Dane and to all of them. Okay, uh, verse 3 of Ephesians 5. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. There's a couple verses that are, are extremely important. Let's, let's look at these. Fornication, that word there, uh, porneia, illicit sexual intercourse is really what porneia is referring to there. So guys in particular, I know this is a problem for women sometimes too. That means pornography, no, never. Don't look at anything that's pornographic um, and don't play games uh, with things like that either. Um, no fornication. Fornication, all uncleanness, any kind of illicit um, immoral desires or covetousness, uh, coveting, uh, what other people have, um, desire, b- being discontent with your estate in life. That is always wrong. And the prohibition against coveting the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Um, it also is forbidding discontentment in general. We are never allowed to be discontent. That is so hard. <laughs> That's why the Puritans wrote books on contentment. Uh, called The Art of Divine Contentment, uh, Thomas Watson's book, and Jeremiah Burroughs' uh, book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And even the Apostle Paul, even uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4 that he learned to be content. Okay, he, he, didn't, he didn't become content in an instant when he was converted. Uh, contentment is something we have to learn to do because there's always going to be crooks in the lot, it's always going to be hard places in God's sovereign plan and in God's um, love to us. There's always going to be difficult places. Ecclesiastes 7.13 says that. Consider the work of God for who can make straight what he has made crooked. So there's going to be crooked places in, in your lot in life. There'll be things about 
yourself physically that you don't don't like or are discontent about. There will be things about um, what you possess, what you have, your station in life, maybe your job, uh, maybe financial issues that you've got, maybe issues in your marriage, maybe issues with kids that that you're very much tempted to grumble and complain about. And we we don't recognize the way that we should what a sin it is to complain, to grumble about things. And when I was younger and listening to the Exodus narratives there when the Israel came out of Egypt, and they, you know, they marched three days in the wilderness and didn't have anything to drink. Now, it's hard to imagine going for three days with nothing to drink. And they cried out. They were upset. They were grumbling. Give us water. We're going to thirst to death. And God came after them for that. God, God brought his heavy hand of discipline down upon them for complaining. Okay? And so we're not to be covetous. We are not to be malcontents. We're not to be discontent with our outward estate in life. And when you think about what we have in Christ, the treasure that we have in Christ, uh, that's the greatest thing anyone could ever have. We're so often uh, so enamored by our ideal world that we would love to have. If God would just fix this, this, and this, then everything would be right in my life. And I'll tell you, it's almost like they come in threes. There's three things in my life right now that I, I, I have prayed and prayed and prayed, and we'll still keep praying, that God would fix. And there, there's something in my heart that I really do think, I just think, God... I would be so much more useful to you if you would just fix these three things. If you would just do it, I could do so much more for the kingdom of God. I could glorify you so much more as if, as if I have any idea what I'm talking about. As if I have any idea what I really need. You know, I'm thankful God doesn't give me everything I want. I'm very thankful he doesn't do that, but he always gives me what I need. And very often what I need is not what I want. So covetousness, discontentment, don't even let it be named among you, Ephesians 5.3, as is fitting for saints. Okay, so sexual immorality, pornography, unclean desires, discontentment, that is not fitting. That's not fitting for those that claim to be followers of Christ. We should be the, the, the poster children for a content life. We don't grumble. We're not cranky. We're not grumpy. We're happy. We're content with where we are. It's not a matter of, well, does everything go the way I want it to? It's just a matter of how do I respond to the trials that God ordains for me to go through? How do I respond to those things? Do I respond with grumbling? Do I punch holes in the wall? Do I get mad and yell? Or do I have contentment and not covetous and I'm not unclean in my thoughts and my thinking? These things are not supposed to be named. It's not fitting for saints. Okay, so now that everyone is convicted enough, aren't you thankful Jesus died for us? Aren't you thankful he died for our fornication and uncleanness and our covetousness? I sure am. But that's the goal. That's, that's the standard right there. That's what we are to aim at. Um, no sexual immorality, no uncleanness, no covetousness, no grumbling, no complaining. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. And he goes on. Neither filthiness, neither filthiness, iscrates, uh, that term, obscenity. We're not to be obscene. You know, there's, there's some young reformed folks out there who think it's cool to kind of walk the line, like right up to the edge of using profanity, but not quite, but using expressions from the, the old King James version of the Bible. And then saying, well, you know, the Holy spirit talks like this, so we can too. And we should say it with as much pathos as they did. And it's like, well, yeah. Um, but, but not, not necessarily. Okay. So filthiness, obscenity. Okay. We're not supposed to have that foolish talking. 
Okay, foolish talking, that term, um, morologia. <laughs> it's like moron talk. Foolish talking, like acting, acting foolish, ultra sarcastic, things like that. There, there's uh, men out there where they discourse about theological things. All they do is, all they do is foolish talk and sarcasm. And, uh, they think that there's some, something spiritual about doing that. And that, that's not healthy either. We're not supposed to engage in coarse jesting. We're not supposed to engage in that. Okay. Um, facetiousness in, in a bad sense, not to, to coarsely uh, or grossly jest and joke around with each other. Uh, like certain people I can make sexual jokes by or whatever that that's not appropriate. That's not right to do that. Um, in, in any setting it's not, it's, and it says here, which are not fitting filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Instead of foolish talk and jesting and filthiness, and th- which are not fitting, we should always be giving thanks to God, giving thanks to God for his grace, for the gospel, for the blood and righteousness of Christ that saves us. In verse 5, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, that's not to say that Christians don't struggle with with all those sins we do. But someone who is a habitual and unrepentant fornicator, an unbeliever, an unclean person who's an unbeliever, someone who is enslaved to their covetousness and are idolaters, they're not going to heaven. And so when Christians act like that, when we engage in fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, our filthy, foolish talking, coarse jesting, uh, if we're fornicators, unclean, covetous, we're acting like those that don't go to heaven. That, that's kind of the argument he's making here is why, why would you act like that? People that do that don't go to heaven. They don't have an, any inheritance in the kingdom of, of Christ and God. Now, does that mean we get into heaven by not doing that? Of course not. Of course not. But it's saying that those that know the Lord, it's not fitting for them to act that way. It's not fitting for them to do that. And of course, we know that the Christian life is a, is a giant battle. It's a giant battle against sin in our lives. So we're going to be doing battle with all of that. Okay, point or uh, verse number six of Ephesians five. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So the sons of disobedience, those are unrepentant unbelievers who live in those sins, are enslaved to those sins. And it says in verse seven, therefore do not be partakers with them. Okay. Let's see. What is everybody talking about over here? I'm seeing like lots of things happening. Okay. Yes. Paul's main vice he admitted was covetousness. Um, I've been wanting to ask if anybody knows how to donate to Pastor Hines. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how to donate to Pastor Hines. Um, oh, I've got some books out there on Kindle that nobody buys, that nobody, nobody reads apparently. Um, they're out there. Uh, Patrick W. O. Hines. If you if you do a search on Amazon, those are out there. Uh, um, I've priced them just about as low as, as I could possibly price them. But there's two um, book length ones. There's a few that are just sermons that I edited for um, for just for the Kindle. But I'm working on several other book projects right now because there's it's a real there's a really cool way to self publish through Amazon, and I don't want to mess with book publishers. I just want to get it out there myself. So uh, anyway, yeah, Jesse, why don't you post it? I'm trying to read from Ephesians right here. <laughs> I can't like do all this. I I wish I could multitask like that, but if you can get that, that would be cool uh, to get them out there. Um, actually, wait a minute. I just got an email um, that one of my books was, uh, was oh, here, here. Maybe I can do it real quick here, but we're on verse seven of, uh, 
of the uh, of Ephesians chapter five. Okay, I got it here. I'm gonna put the, post a link to it. Okay, so here we go. So there, there's a link to all the books I've got out on Amazon. So folks, feel free to post links to those on social media. Since I don't have, I don't have social media, and I'm not on Facebook or Instagram or wh- who knows what all. I don't even know what what they all are anymore. But feel free to spread the word. Um, uh, the folks that have read uh, the stuff I've got out there have, have told me they're they're really helpful and, and uh, useful. So anyway, they're they're just edited sermons. I've been spending a lot of time editing and trying to get all the typos out and spelling errors out and make things clearer and write write better and so on. So okay, uh, yeah, you could uh, you could just send if you wanted to donate, you could send a, a check to our church if you wanted to just made out to Brittle Heights Presbyterian Church. Uh, pe- people do that occasionally, and that's that's fine. Okay, well, let's look at verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So here you have Paul um, encouraging the Ephesian Christians to uh, don't don't run with the people that are like this. Don't be partakers with them. Separate yourself from people that live like that, that live in uncleanness and fornication, coarse jesting and, and evil talk and, and things like that. Oh, good. Colin bought one. Good. Excellent. The one, Am I Right With God, is the one I just finished, and I think I've got all the typos out of it. I've been really working hard on that one to get the typos out, but I really wanted to have a book you could hand to a non-Christian that would be a a real clear exposition of the gospel, of what saving faith is, of what repentance is, what assurance is, and what the new birth is. So I wrote a book um, on that, Am I Right With God, and I love the, the, the cover. I was able to get it off of Amazon's like cover tool maker. It's a butterfly. Because butterflies, in a sense, are born again. Like they they go into the chrysalis and are born again. Get it? So I thought that was I really like the cover on that one. Okay, uh, verse eight. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So here he's reminding them of the indicatives of the the facts. If you're a Christian, you used to be darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice it's not an imperative. You better be light. It's you are light. If you're a Christian, you are light in the Lord. What the heck is that? Oh, good grief. There's an evil person over here. All right, goodbye, whoever you are. Ugh. I wonder if that's one of my LGBT um, detractors. Ugh. Anyway, they're such wonderful, tolerant people. Just, just as sweet as can be. So tolerant. Oh, so, so, so tolerant. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see that? The indicative, you are this, so act like it. Okay, you are light in the, in the Lord, so walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the fruit of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So Christians, if your primary friends are uh, unregenerate people or unbelieving people, they, they need to, your closest friends should not be unbelievers. Your closest friends should be your brothers and sisters in Christ in your local church. And you need to work on it. You need to work on having fellowship with those that, that walk in the light as you are in the light, as Christ is in the light. Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Okay, so we are called upon to expose wickedness, not to partake in it, but to expose it, to point out, here's where it is, here's where these wicked things are happening, here's where this stuff is going on, 
and we want to walk in the light and shun evil. Remember God's description of Job um, when he speaks to the devil about Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth who fears God and shuns evil. He shuns evil and exposes evil. Okay. And uh, verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Okay, we don't want to talk about all the forms of wickedness that are out there. We expose them and have no fellowship with them. Okay, it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Okay, verse 13, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. And remember, who is the light? We are. We are light in the Lord, Ephesians 5, verse 8. So wherever we go, we're exposing evil. (laughs) We're not supposed to be partaking in it, but exposing it. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, and that that means um, accurately, diligently. You, You walk carefully as a Christian. It should be obvious to everybody that you are a Christian. Okay, that's what walking circumspectly means. You want to to walk in a way that makes it clear and obvious and plain to everyone that you're careful in how you walk with Christ. Not as fools, but as wise. And then verse 16, boy, here's a Here's a verse for the ages too, especially in our in our world of perpetual digital distraction, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know, people have asked me before, you know, when do you just kind of step away from someone you're trying to witness to them or you're trying to um, share the gospel with people or trying to correct errors or whatever? Uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm all for going the extra mile, but you also need to recognize there is a time to cut bait and move on. Because at any given moment, please remember this, at any given moment, there will always be fruitful opportunities for fruitful work in God's vineyard. There will always be opportunities, fruitful opportunities for ministry or for evangelism, for discipleship. There's always going to be plenty of opportunities. But it's okay to get to the conclusion with with certain people at times that spending more time arguing with you or talking with you or trying trying to bring you up to speed on what the truth is, is not one of them. And there, there have been a few times that you have to eventually say, um, you know, I need to move on. <clears throat> I'm not helping you. You're not listening or whatever. Go the extra mile, but redeem the time because the days are evil. There's a lot to be done. There's a lot more we need to do. There's a lot of work to be done. Okay, verse 17. <clears throat> Pardon me. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so when it comes to redeeming your time, don't be unwise about it. Understand what God's will is. God's will is that we're sanctified and that we walk humbly with the Lord. Okay, <laughs> that's what I said last night when we were we were we were watching the um, the video that came out Genesis Paradise Lost, which is a really good creation versus evolution a DVD or, or movie that came out. We were watching it here at church last night as a Wednesday night Bible study. And Vodi Balcom's uh, scripture readings are powerful and clear, but it's so slow. He's just like so in the beginning, and it's like man, you got to speed up a little bit. Anyway. All right, verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, <clears throat> in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, now, now notice, it doesn't say, never drink wine. It says, do not be intoxicated. Do not be intoxicated with 
wine, methusco is the term, methusco. You don't want to be intoxicated with wine or drunk on wine, which is dissipation, okay, meaning um, you're a profligate, being, product, being a prodigal, living recklessly. Don't, don't be drunk. Don't get drunk, which makes people reckless, is what that's basically saying. But be filled with the Spirit. Okay, how are we filled with the Spirit? You want to be filled with the Spirit by being filled with the Word of God. The Holy Spirit works through the Word, through the Bible, through the text of Scripture, which is what we're doing right now. We are in the text of Scripture right now. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, what a contrast that is to coarse jesting and uh, filthy speech and covetousness and things like that. Rather than that, we want to have mouths that give thanks to God, that speak wisdom, that speak psalms and hymns and words of praise to the Lord and things that are edifying to one another and giving thanks for everything to God the Father in in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Giving thanks for everything, for all things, good and bad, for blessings and trials. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's a beautiful picture of what Christian brotherhood is supposed to be about, what Christian sisterhood is supposed to be about, what the church family is supposed to be about. Submitting to one another, being gracious and kind to one another, edifying one another, giving thanks, deferring to each other. You know, that's the ideal. That's what we're all aiming at. Okay? Alrighty. Um, Verse 22. So now we move into a a great text of scripture. I, uh, been uh, just finished recently doing uh, pre-marriage counseling with another couple. Uh, there was something really, really cool. I just want to share this little anecdote. Um, this past Sunday when I got done uh, preaching, um, walked down from the pulpit and walked down the aisle uh, to the back of the church, opened the doors. I opened the door doors and there's, um, there were, I think six young ladies. I, I did their pre-marriage counseling and their weddings and baptized all their children. They're all standing there holding these newborn babies um, six of them and <laughs> just walked through the door and they're all standing there and they all kind of smiled and, and laughed. I was like, wow, baby convention. But it was really cool to see, you know, all these, uh, young Christian wives with their newborn babies stand there and, and all the little babies are smiling and stuff. And it's just, it was just super cool. It was really, really encouraging to see that when life is embraced and children are welcomed, uh, into the world and they're not seen as an economic burden or a curse or a pain or whatever, uh, it's a huge blessing to see that. It really is. And our church is just filled with babies. There's just babies everywhere. And there's little kids everywhere. It's so cool. It's so encouraging to see. Okay, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, important text of scripture. Now in marriage, uh, the husband and the wife, the vast majority of their decision making will be joint decisions in which they will be in agreement with each other 99% of the time. But once in a while, there will come a decision where they don't agree on what they should do as a family. And the wife has to submit to the husband's lead in that regard. And I've encouraged every couple I've ever done marriage counseling for, or pre-marriage counseling for, especially the pre-marriage counseling, just pointing out, you want to defer to your wife. You want to let her do things the way she wants. You want to go out to eat where she wants. You want to establish a very long track record of deferring to her and letting her do the things that she wants to do as long as it's not sin. That way, when you do come up to an impasse 
and you have to make a call. You've got to make the decision as the covenant head of your home. It'd be very easy for her to follow you. She may still disagree with you, but it'll be a lot easier for her to follow you because you have a long history of demonstrating that you do care about her and you do take into consideration what she wants. And usually that's what you guys will do is what she wants to do in terms of whatever it is. Okay, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. How does an egalitarian interpret that? Beats me. The idea that, no, there's perfect total equality. Uh, There is no headship whatsoever uh, in the home. Now, there are a number of ways that men and women are identical to each other. We are both made in God's image. It's not that man is more of the image of God or that the woman is less or that the woman is more and the man is less. We are equally, equally images of God. We're both equally sinners. And when we believe the gospel, we are equally justified before God. We are both also equally members of the church of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to marriage, there is headship and the husband is the head of the wife in the same way that Jesus Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, listen to this, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own, to their own husbands in everything. And that's why, brothers, if you want to, to do this right, you need to, do, to lead your church the way Jesus did. You wash the church's feet. You wash your wife's feet. You lead from below. You lead from a place of service to her. That way, when a hard decision has got to be made and she doesn't agree with it, it's a lot easier for her to submit to you. You want to make it as easy as possible for her to know and to see clearly that you love her, that you cherish her, that you value her opinion, that you want her to be happy, that you will do everything that you possibly can for her to be happy and to feel loved. That's true manhood. That's biblical masculinity. Okay, this... You know, I smoke and smash beer cans on my head and stand on tables and yell and scream and act like a fool. That's not manhood. Biblical manhood is self-controlled conviction. And husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. You want to see Christ loving the church? He died for her. You want to see Jesus loving his church? John chapter 13. Jesus girded himself with a towel and got down and washed their filthy feet. The master. The master washed his disciples' feet. Husbands, you want to exercise headship over your wife the way Christ exercises it over the church? That's what you got to do. And shame on all of us if we don't do it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish that's the standard that's how we are to love our wives that's how husbands are to love their wives verse 28 verse 28 is one of the most convicting verses in the bible so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself what a verse Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. I think of, I absolutely hate getting cuts or abrasions or getting hurt, 
but I'm an excellent patient. If I get, if I hurt something or cut something, I'm very good about doctoring it, keeping it clean. Cause I want it to heal quickly. We have to be the very same way toward our wife as we are towards our own flesh. If we see something's off with her, something, she seems like she's sad or down about something. We got to go find out what it is. Honey, what's the matter? No, nothing. But we know there is. So you keep pressing and pressing and pressing. Counsel is like, is like deep waters in the heart of a man, but a man of understanding draws it out. So you got to draw out from her. What's the matter? What's the matter? How can I help you? How can I make you feel more loved? You just need me to listen to you. What do you need from me? So husbands love their own wives as their own bodies. If I feel something that hurts, if I've got a hangnail or I've got something that's infected, I'm going to take care of it until it goes away. Same way with your wife. Something's wrong with her. You see something is, um, is not right with her. You see something that's fallen in her countenance or whatever. You got to go to her and figure it out. You got to go and, and find out what's wrong with her so you can help her, so you can love her and help her feel more loved by you. Verse 29 um, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And then Paul quotes Genesis 2, uh, 24 and 25. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's why verse 28 says, he who loves his wife loves himself. To love her is to love me. I don't hate myself. If I, if I really do care for myself, I'm going to care for my wife because the two become one flesh before God. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Pardon me. There was a whole book that came out called Love and Respect um, about husbands needing to love their wife and wives needing to respect their husband. And I haven't read a whole lot of it, read a little bit of it, and I got distracted and wasn't able to finish the book. But there, there's a lot of truth to that. And in some sense, husbands every husbands need love too, and wives need respect as well. But there's a real sense in which the wife needs to feel loved and cared about and cherished by her husband. It's vital to her sense of well-being. If, if she doesn't feel that way, she's not going to be, she, her sense of well-being will be ruined if she doesn't feel loved and cherished by her husband. And a husband really needs his wife, his wife's um, confidence, support, and admiration. And I've said to, to many people, if I know that my precious wife supports me, if I know she's got my back and is for me, I can do anything. Anything God asks of me, I can do it. If I don't think that she respects me, if I don't think she admires me and thinks well of me and believes in me, I can't. It's much harder to. So please do remember that. Okie dokie. Let's see what else is over here. Okay. Yeah, egalitarians just plug their ears. Mm -hmm. The tongue is a raging fire. Who can put it out? How do you feel about John Riesinger's view, New Covenant Theology? New Covenant theology, where are you, ta- are you talking about the antinomian stuff, where they they don't even they don't believe in the Sabbath, and it's just it, it's like it's like the pendulum swinging away from Presbyterianism so hard the other direction it's practically dispensational that stuff. Um, okay, unfortunately, people these days even hate their own bodies. Yeah, that's right. This is why we defer to the Imago Dei. Yep, yeah, people don't care for their body. They think they think their bodies are just a mural 
for them to slash and burn and do whatever they want to. And, and our bodies aren't like that. They, our bodies, my body's not mine. It's God's. Um, to and I, I don't. It's not, I'm not free to do whatever I want uh, with my body. Okay, we are at the 40 minute mark. That's probably a good place to stop. But again, just find me some heresy, find some false doctrine, email it to me, and uh, I will try to uh, uh, see if in 60 seconds I can massage the worst heresy ever spoken and make it sound orthodox. And uh, that'll be a fun game. But anyway, y'all love y'all. Thank you for watching or for listening. Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at bridwellheightschurch.com where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at bridwellheightschurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.